Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, sponsored by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. I'm Angela Martinez, your host for today's program. Through these personal testimonies of Catholic faith, it is our hope that our listeners will experience a deeper knowledge and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our guest for today is Donna Ross. After a wonderful 25-year career, Donna Ross left the Magic Kingdom of Disney in 1994 to work for the Eternal Kingdom of God. The Lord enriched her natural gifts with supernatural grace and called her into full-time ministry in His beloved church. Much to her surprise, many skills developed over the years in the workplace have been helpful in her ministry experience. She was the organizational chair for the first Orange County Charismatic Conference. She served as the vice president of Southern California Renewal Communities, SCRC, for six years and was involved with Magnificat in Orange County since its inception. She has been a host on St. Joseph Catholic Radio since 1998. On the WordNet program, From Kingdom to Kingdom, with Father Mike Manning, she shared about her conversion of heart, a grace time of awakening to God's call. As Director of Pastoral and Educational Services and DRE for her parish, she loved sharing with everyone that God is alive and well. Donna is the founding coordinator of the new Magnificat chapter in Palm Desert, Our Lady's Desert Roses. She currently serves on the Vicariat Corps team and is the team leader for Life in the Spirit and Growth seminars. She is the recipient of the Bishop's Award, the Our Lady of Guadalupe Award, for her generous and selfless service to the Diocese of San Bernardino. The gifts she has received she generously gives to God's children. Donna is a woman led by the Holy Spirit, and her testimony truly proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Good morning. It's always wonderful to be with Magnificat Sisters because to me it's like a family reunion. Now, it's through the Blessed Mother's uh, loving persistence that I return to the church. 
And it's precisely because of that spirit of gratefulness to Our Lady and Our Lord that I find myself here today. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to see through some of my life experiences just how much the Lord is alive and well and how much he wants to be a part of our lives if we allow him. So, like Mary, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So, I have come to realize that, you know, life is, um, for each of us, where it's a journey, and it's a spiritual journey, and it's kind of like life is a freeway, um, that we're trying to get from point A to point B. Now, some of us, we're real good. We follow the maps, and we follow the directions. We stay straight, and we go directly there. But, you know, for some of us, we get off. We might have to get gas. We may have to go to a rest stop. Some of us just take wrong turns. And, you know, some never get back on the freeway, do they? They never find their way back. And there's a scripture that seems to support this analogy. I didn't realize it. You know, I didn't realize there was a lot in scripture until you start reading it, huh? Um, from Jeremiah in 31, it says, set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take. How long will you wander, O unfaithful daughter? Isn't that something? Well, we know some of us wander longer than others, don't we? Well, as many of you know, in a testimony, a testimony is typically how you were before the Lord got your attention, what the Lord did to get your attention, and how life is now. And so that's precisely what I'm going to try to do today. Now, for some of you, you might know, and it sounds familiar, the beginning of my testimony, because the beginning always stays the same, doesn't it? But the journey continues, and so that's where we're at today. The journey continues. So I asked the Lord today what I was to focus on. And I understood four areas, loss, detachment, surrender, and trust. And then he said to wrap it all in hope. Now, I'm sure you all love those topics that I just mentioned, right? <laughs> loss, detachment, surrender, trust. But we're going to wrap it all in hope. So I hope that this brings honor and glory to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our time together here this morning. My beginnings look like this. I was your typical born and raised cradle Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school. My Protestant mom saw to it that we went to church every Sunday, that we learned our prayers, prepared for the sacraments, and she was really good. She never had meat on her plates on Fridays, okay? And uh, it's so essential, as I look back, so essential that they plant the seeds plant the seeds. My brother and I feel very fortunate to have had the parents that we did raising us. Even though their styles were very different, I have to believe both my mom and dad are saints. And I would encourage you as parents and grandparents, plant the seeds. Okay, Plant the seeds. And I may have even considered a vocation, but in those days you were told there was two things that you didn't talk about. Do you remember what those were? Religion and politics? Okay, well, we were very obedient. We didn't talk about them. And so, you know, in school, society, family, and such, um, it really wasn't something that you considered seriously. And I think, you know, even today, that's something, an attitude that is uh, still prevalent 
And we need to pray that attitudes change because there's something about vocations, particularly to the religious life, that it's okay if it's from your family or your family, but me, just not my son or daughter. So we need to pray that our attitudes do change and realize what a gift those vocations are to each of us in our journeys. So I went on to college. I went on to that environment of higher education. And in that environment, I became so enlightened that I didn't really appreciate the church as I once did. And while attending college, I worked at Disneyland. And over those years, new opportunities seemed to keep presenting themselves, and I found myself being promoted and forging new frontiers. One year, I decided to take a restful vacation, and I went on that vacation with my family. Well, much to my surprise, I met my husband on the love boat. He has been a gift from God, and you know, marriage, new home, new position, and such at work, I just kept becoming less and less active in the church. About that time, my Catholic aunt was visiting from Florida, and she wanted me to take her to the Crystal Cathedral. She was undergoing chemotherapy, and she wasn't able to, to get out much at the time, and so she was watching the Hour of Power on TV. Well, I did take her and found that the testimonies were very uplifting, and I really enjoyed seeing how God was touching so many lives. And now that I look back, I don't know why I would be surprised, because isn't that what Revelation tells us? Hmm? In Revelations 12, we're told they conquered him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Well, I started to attend their services. And I started to understand some concepts for the very first time. Not that it was the first time I heard them. It's just the first time I really started to comprehend some of them, such as tithing. The way it was explained helped me to realize that everything, everything we have is a gift from God. The very air we breathe. And therefore, 100% of what we have is from God. And all he asks us is to give a small percentage of that to support his church and other good works here on earth. And then he lets us have the rest of it. Well, I, like I say, continued to attend. But one thing I was having difficulty was with their communion service. You know, it seemed very nice, but it wasn't the Eucharist that I grew up with. And interestingly enough, at the time, I'm not sure I really knew what bothered me, but I knew something. Something just wasn't quite right. Okay, so now we continue here through life, and life was very good for me. My job, my family again, but I must have known something was missing. And you know, some people, they turn to alcohol, drugs, sex, power, money. Well, in my case, I met a fallen away Catholic. <laughs> and she seemed very bright, and she seemed to have a lot of fascinating experiences and especially when it came to spiritual matters. She knew all about Christian scientists. She knew about psychics. She knew about the Tony Robbins firewalking course, okay? She knew about the Shirley MacLaine seminar weekends. She just seemed to have it all together. So I signed up for the $300 a week Shirley MacLaine seminar weekend. You know, I find that people do whatever it takes, even if they can't afford it, if they want to. Isn't that true? If they want to. So at that time, the weekend seemed very worthwhile to me. But again, 
one thing bothered me. I could not say I was God. I could say I was a child of God, yes. I could say that I was made as an image and likeness, but I could not claim to be God as was suggested. Now about this time I had lunch with some folks from work and they were talking about how several of them had gone just for fun to visit a psychic and they had invited me to go too. I remember the psychic introduced herself as a spiritual advisor. Although I asked a bunch of questions, there was still something I was uncomfortable about and I really wasn't, again, sure why. And she did have some interesting insights, but little did I know who the source of her knowledge was at the time. And that's why it greatly concerns me today to see the growing number of people that are going to psychics or dealing with those in the spiritual world because what seems so innocent isn't, isn't. Most have no idea what they're dealing with. Well, while I was taking in these new experiences, people often will ask me, what did your husband think? Well, my dear husband, bless his heart, he was giving me space. He has always been very supportive, and that has been very important in my journey. Now, it appears about now that the good Lord said, enough, enough. It was time to get my attention. And so he had been patient with his wandering lamb, but in 1989, it turned out to be a very big year for me. It was a year of change. It was a year of change of my heart, change of my attitude, uh, just simply a, a change in my way of thinking. Uh, in fact, metanoia, some of you may have heard that word. It's a Greek word, and, and it talks about change. Well, as you have heard, I was slowly being pulled in one direction, I was being pulled in one direction while the Lord was equally protecting me and pulling me in another. So I call this the phone call. And it all led up to this. Talk about God's mercy. One of our credit union board members had been out on a medical leave, and I was the chairman of the board. So I called because, you know, I knew her professionally, and I just thought it was a nice thing to do to check up on her. So after we exchanged the congenialities on the phone, she says to me, I've been praying for you. So rather indignantly, I asked her, what have you been doing that for? And she said to me, I sense you are at a spiritual fork in the road, and I am praying that you make the right choice and go in the right direction. Well, I have to tell you, it, it just startled me. And I started to cry. Well, I have to tell you, I never cried. I, I just didn't cry. But it surprised me. And she knew nothing about what I was going through in my life at the time, nothing. So I refer to this now as my Holy Spirit phone call. And to thank God, you know, he loves us so much, and he'll go to such measures. We can't even fathom how much God loves us. Beloved, we love God because he first loved us, 1 John 4. Well, the next thing I knew, our friend of many years had just returned from a place called Medjugorje. Well, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to say it. I didn't know where it was. 
But in keeping with our upbringing, what are the two things we didn't talk about? Remember? Politics and religion, right. Well, in keeping with that, we never discussed our Catholic faith. So in seven years of knowing them, it just wasn't a point of conversation. But in her enthusiasm, she gave me a book uh, to read that her brother had just brought back with him as well. And I politely took it, and much to my surprise, found myself reading the entire thing. This same neighbor invited me shortly thereafter to a potluck. She had met some people who were going to share pictures and stories of their pilgrimage that they had just made to Medjugorje. And she said to me, or I should say cautioned me, you might have to say the rosary. Well, you know, folks, at that point, I don't know that I even remembered how to say the rosary, let alone have rosary beads. But I figured, you know, what can happen, you know, at a potluck? I seemed pretty non-threatening, so I went. By the time I made it to this potluck, I had been doing a lot of thinking. At this alleged apparition, you know, Our Lady, she was primarily asking all of us for conversion of heart. And this was through the Eucharist, confession, fasting, through scripture, confession, certainly prayer. And, and she said these are little stones that we use against Goliath. Isn't that interesting? Now, I just want to make sure, and, I, and I'm sure everyone sitting here knows, that you know, we are all called to be obedient to the authority of the church. However, until a decision is made by our church, we may incorporate these kinds of things into our spiritual journey as long as they don't conflict with the faith and morals of our faith. So back here to the potluck. The young priest who happened to be a chaplain on this pilgrimage was attending the potluck. And so I began to get the idea that since it had been a long time since my confession, a good 10 years, that maybe if I were to go to him for confession, he wouldn't yell at me, wouldn't, wouldn't scold me, you know? So after getting up my courage, and it did, it took courage uh, to go uh, on one of the coming Saturday afternoons uh, to confession, I, I thought, well, I'll go to him. But wouldn't you know, he wasn't there. You're right. It's like, oh, no. But you know, God is good. And the priest who was there, after getting all this courage up, uh, he helped me to reconcile with the Lord and the church. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Well, the potluck, you might find humorously, uh, turned into a weekly rosary prayer group. And yours truly was there. In my wildest dreams, I never thought of being a part of a prayer group. But did you see how ingenious Our Lady is? Um, all of this was done at a pace that wouldn't scare me off. And, you know, the Blessed Mother, besides all this, she knew how important that this would be for me uh, to be in this prayer community. And I'm very grateful to those brothers and sisters in Christ because without them, I probably wouldn't be standing here today. So the old cliche, birds of a feather flock together, have you heard that one? Okay, well, you know what, there's, there's really a, a lesson here. Science tells us, you know, I just thought that was just a nice cliche, but then someone gave me actually a little piece of paper and I thought, oh my gosh, it says science tells us that each bird flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds immediately behind them, and by flying in the V formation, do you know they can go 71% further than if they were flying on their own. Is that amazing? 
71% further when they're flying together in formation. And you know, I have seen birds flying in formation before, but I had an occasion uh, about a week ago. Uh, I live in the desert. I was coming down the street. I looked up in the sky, and I kid you not, there must have been about 150 geese. And there was like three sections. I figure it was Trinitarian, you know? Three sections, they were flying in formation. It was absolutely phenomenal. I pulled over, I, you know, they have those little cameras now on your phones. I tried to take a picture. I had never seen anything so phenomenal. And when I got home, I was telling my husband about it. And it was so incredible that he happened to be playing tennis with a bunch of gentlemen at the time. They stopped the tennis game. Now, you know this is big, right? <laughs> they stopped the tennis game to watch these birds in formation. It was the most beautiful sight against the setting of the blue skies and the mountains. It was just phenomenal. Well, in addition to that, did you know that when the bird flies out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and the resistance of trying to go it alone? Isn't that interesting? You know, I, I remember Moses. Remember when he was holding up his arms, everything was going pretty good? And when he got tired, you know, the arms were coming down. So what happened? Someone came to help lift those arms back up, didn't they? Okay? Well, when the birds fly out of formation or when we're not in that team effort, you know, we can get tired on our own. So that, it's a good lesson for us to, to learn from the geese. And then the other thing that I thought was fun is the geese flying in formation honk from behind. They honk from behind in encouragement for those up front to keep up their speed. Okay, now there's honking and there's honking, isn't there? Okay, we want to honk to encourage one another, don't we? And I was thinking about Christians and teamwork. And you know, so many, unfortunately, are a little unaware of the challenges that we have in life. And we have a little spiritual warfare out there, don't we? So if we're all in the spiritual warfare, and as Christians, it's kind of like we're in those foxholes, it seems like, wouldn't it make sense for us to point the guns instead of at one another to point them out at the enemy? Amen. Amen. Okay? So we don't want to point at one another. We want to point at the enemy. So anyway, that's why the company we keep as adults is vital. Birds of a feather flock together. Okay? That is not just a cliché. When you are of like spirit and mind, you help one another, don't you? You help them on the, isn't that the spirituality of Magnificat? Mary and Elizabeth, they were there to help one another, support one another, pray together, cry together, laugh together. And it's equally important for our children, isn't it? The company they keep is vital. The road to holiness is narrow and steep. You can catch a cold but you don't catch holiness. The scripture says bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians 15. We need to encourage one another and to be good role models for one another. Hold one another accountable. I encourage all of you to be in a prayer group. If you are already, terrific. If you're not, then maybe it's something you want to initiate in your parish, among your friends, among your family. But whatever you do, 
I encourage you to get in a prayer cynical. Now, in that process, I discovered that prayer was a two-way communication. What a revelation. For years, I spent time giving God direction. But now I try to listen and let God be God. I find journaling also is tremendously helpful in capturing those conversations in prayer. And it allows me to go back and reflect on the journey traveled to date. Now, a few years later, uh, our Rosary Prayer Group heard of a program called Life in the Spirit Seminars, and we decided to attend. So the Holy Spirit slowly but surely continued to direct us and shower us with his gifts. In 1993, I represented that prayer group in uh, the upper room in Pittsburgh. Now, I knew it was supposed to be a good conference. This was another significant time for me. Well, it was then that I felt our Lord saying to me, you need to make a decision. No more sitting on the fence. You're either on this side or this side, but no more straddling the fence. And Revelation 3 tells us, I know you are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Well, at this same conference in prayer, I sensed the Lord was also cautioning me about the sin of pride. I didn't understand that because, frankly, I didn't consider myself to be an egotistical or a boastful type person, but I came to understand that the sin of pride was when I was trusting myself, my eye, my hand, myself, more than God. That was my sin of pride, and unfortunately, I could relate to that. So I knew I had to make a choice. God's way or my way. And although I foolishly thought, up until that point in time anyway, that I had control over my life, I decided one day on the good old Santa Ana Freeway, where it intersects the Golden State, to have a little conversation with God. And I told him that I had decided to try it his way. And I hoped that I wouldn't lose everything in the process. And to me, that was husband, family, friends, job, home. But I knew it was a chance that I had to take. Because what I had come to understand was that if I didn't make that commitment to God, I was sinning against the first commandment. I shouldn't put anyone or anything before God in priority. He has to come first. He just has to come first. And it was my first conscious decision and major lesson in detachment. I remembered crying, not knowing what was ahead. But God is so gentle with us. And he knows how weak we are. I knew I had to surrender to his will and put my trust in him for my life, not me. So shortly after this conversation with the Lord, my husband and I had planned a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And just prior to the trip, we had found out that my mom needed to have major surgery the first time in her life. My brother was having a delicate leg surgery. My husband was having hip problems. And uh, so actually it was my husband's situation that he might even have bone cancer. So what a week that turned out to be. But thank God the surgeries went fine. And the tests that were being done to determine if Ed had cancer came back negative. And as much as I love him, 
I remember saying to him as this was all going on that although I wanted him to be physically okay, I was going to pray that God's will be done and that he and our Lord be reconciled. He concurred. And considering how private his faith is, that was a tremendous gift for me. And through all of this, I remember hearing, God doesn't give us more than what we can handle. I used to think that was a cliche, but once again, here it is in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10. God is faithful and will not let you be tried beyond your strength. As it turned out, again, Ed was fine, everybody turned out fine, praise God, and we went on a very memorable trip. Well, while I was undergoing this conversion of heart, I was busy working uh, as the director of administration for the Disney stores. We were opening up locations all over the states and internationally. In fact, when I first went with the Disney stores, uh, we had three pilot stores and about 75 employees. And by the time I left, we had over 300 international and 15,000 employees. I had been asked to basically hold the torch. We um, had nine people that were hired from what we considered the outside uh, to head up different departments, but I was asked with my Disney background at that point of over 19 years to kind of bring and assure that the Disney piece with the people and the training and such uh, was maintained. So it, it was a wonderful career. I had a very good position and positions during the whole time. I made very good money. I had wonderful perks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I never considered working for another company. However, the Lord seemed to have another plan. <laughs> and you know what they say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, okay? Well, along comes this gentleman. He invited me to help establish a capital development office to build Catholic schools in Southern California. Well, this was something I was feeling led to do. But knowing me, I thought, well, I better just check with the bishop to make sure we're all on the same page. So I uh, tried to contact him, and after several attempts, I asked the Lord, why wasn't I getting through? And it seemed like he was saying to me, if you're going to trust me, trust me. So with that, I didn't pursue trying to contact him anymore. And from a human perspective, the thought of giving up my job may have been the stupidest thing that I had ever done, but I had a tremendous peace about it. And even though my Disney career was wonderful and filled with great, great memories, I felt working for God was actually going to be better than working for Walt. <laughs> and the letter to Paul, uh, to the Corinthians, says, um, and, and I kind of like the way he summarizes this. It says, let no one delude himself. If any one of you thinks he is wise in a worldly way, he had better become a fool. In that way, he will really be wise. For the wisdom of this world is absurdity with God. And even though my poor mom and dad at this point were thinking that we were going to eat hot dogs and be homeless the rest of our lives, I knew with my husband's blessing that this was something I was called to do. So, after 26 very terrific years, I gave notice on All Saints Day, November 1st, 1993, 
Now, most were very surprised because I had been teased about being on, you know, born on Main Street in, in Disneyland. So uh, everyone thought that I would just naturally be buried on Mickey Drive. <laughs> so the motto became, you're leaving the magic kingdom to work for the eternal kingdom. How prophetic that really has turned out to be. As you probably figured out, I did not leave Disney for more money. <laughs> I, um, I was told that the short-term benefits in working with the Lord aren't necessarily all that good, but I was told that the eternal benefits are out of this world. <laughs> so by spring of that year, I knew that this school project was not what I thought it was going to be. But I found myself being asked if I would like to put my name in the hat uh, to be the vice president for Southern California Renewal Communities. Many of you know that as SCRC. Well, I was startled, but I've discovered that if the Lord wants to find you, he will find you, no matter where you are. And in addition, I found that the Lord does not necessarily call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So I have to say he is the most incredible boss that I've had to date. And working for him since 1994 has been a real education. Mother Teresa advises that we have to spend time in prayer with him daily if we really want to know what he wants us to do, especially in ministry. Because unless the Lord build the house, the laborers labor in vain, isn't that what Psalm 127 tells us? And good advice from Mother Teresa, because certainly she should know, huh? Okay? Well, in 1996, I was asked to give my testimony for the first time at the Orange County Magnificat. And I've really shared the highlights of that so far here today with you. But ironically, right after I gave that first testimony, life started to change dramatically for me and my family. So the journey continues. My mom was hospitalized right after that in the summer of 96 with pulmonary embolism. That's blood clots in the lungs. It was quite serious, very painful, and life-threatening, but she pulled through. Then, on New Year's Eve, the vigil of Our Lady's Solemnity, her liver hemorrhaged. And many of you sitting here today prayed for her, and I so appreciate that. Our family is very grateful. Well, after losing five pints of blood, the emergency room doctors announced to the family gathered that even if she did make it through, she wouldn't last more than three to six months because the x-rays had shown she was full of cancer. Well, after seeing her and touching her cold, and I mean cold body that night, I knew the Lord was asking me to be surrendered to his perfect will and trust him. I think it was the hardest thing I had ever been asked to do. I had never seen my father so shaken. He was a simple man, and he loved my mother. I don't know that I had ever seen him cry before, but he did, as he asked my brother and I why they were being punished. I asked our Lord, why was he allowing this to happen? And I understood him to say, because my mom was such a tough cookie. The summer episode wasn't enough to get her attention, and he loved her so much in my family. So January 3rd was my dad's birthday, 
and all he wanted was for my mom to be well. The next day, results to additional tests were back, and much to the doctor's shock, he announced there was no signs of cancer. Alleluia. This was a very difficult time for my family, but we saw many fruits. And I want to emphasize this. So many times during our pain and suffering, God often allows us to see the fruits of that. And in my family's case, just a few, my mom became a Catholic. After 48 years, my father returned to the church. Their marriage was blessed in the church. My brother's children started attending Catholic school, and the entire family came back in gratitude for favors granted and grew closer to the Lord. In 1999, my parents were on a mini vacation to Palm Springs, and as they were packing, they were getting the car ready to come home, my father had a heart attack and died. I never got to say goodbye. But I'm not sure that I could have. I've come to accept that it was once again God's perfect timing and his mercy. This was a very unexpected thing for us because my dad had just been the doctor. He had just been to the doctor and just received a clean bill of health. This was just weeks before. But you know what brought me the most comfort was knowing that he was reconciled with the Lord and the church. The Lord surrounded us with many signs, many encouraging signs that he was in good hands. He died on October 4th, the feast of St. Francis of Assisi, a fellow Italian. My father was Italian. The Secretary of Divine Mercy, St. Faustina, passed away on the next day. So I have to imagine that they greeted one another in heaven. The, the, my father's rosary was on October the 7th the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, and we were having his services during the Hour of Divine Mercy. You know, folks, we couldn't have planned it any better. It was incredible, and it gave me, I know, great comfort in my family. Now, about this time in prayer, I sensed I was to clear my calendar, and I didn't understand why. And I sought confirmation through my prayer group. Communal discernment, so important and a tremendous gift. You might ask why. Well, there are three spirits, aren't there? Three spirits, the Holy Spirit, my human spirit, and the evil spirit. And I want to be led by the Holy Spirit rather than the other two. He has the big picture, and he knows and wants what's best for me. There's a vulnerability when you take things to community, but I've also discovered that sometimes my human will differs from God's perfect will for me. Can you imagine that? So by January, I was reluctantly free of my commitments. Now we enter 2000, the Jubilee year. I knew it was a year of celebration, but I just didn't know exactly what God had planned for us. It's also referred to as the year of God's favor. You might find the history behind it interesting because it truly was a year of God's favor for Ed and myself. According to the Old Testament, a jubilee year was to be celebrated every 50 years. Every seventh year was called a sabbatical year, when the land was to rest, debts forgiven, and slaves freed. 
following the seven times seven formula, the 50th year was proclaimed a year of jubilee. Everything about the sabbatical year was magnified in the jubilee year, which means jubilation and joy. It was a season of grace, intended as a time for faith to be given new vigor, love promoted, and reconciliation and repentance encouraged. Well, it was a time of spiritual renewal for all of God's people. And the New Testament expands on the Old Testament theme by indicating that Jubilee is a way of life, not just a chronological year. Every moment is a season of grace and a time of God's favor. Well, he uses every opportunity to draw us closer to himself, doesn't he? And little did we know what was in store for us. Thank God. Ed had a left hip replacement surgery, and it went very well. He went back to work in February and started to resume his normal activities. But in March, while he was getting ready for work one morning, he noticed a little bump on the side of his neck. And he had it checked out, only to find it was advanced cancer of the throat and base of the tongue. Considering he never smoked, drank, felt great, and was in excellent health, it was all pretty bizarre. Nevertheless, he had a 13-hour, that's 13 hours, major surgery on April the 18th, Holy Tuesday. On Holy Thursday, due to some serious complications, he was in the operating room for another six hours. All I remember is the Sunday before, the Lord asked me to pray for his mercy. I said, Lord, did you misunderstand? I am talking about his surgery, not your mercy. Well, needless to say, that's all I could pray for that week was his mercy, mercy, mercy. There isn't enough time today to tell you what happened really the next eight months. But like never before, I understood what it meant to live in the present moment and to be grateful for everything. The gift of life, the ability to breathe, the ability to eat. In fact, a saying had crossed our path about this time that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. Well, Ed was recuperating. It was my 24-7 role to help that process. Now, I was told I could get an ICU nurse's license after this. And what you have to understand is me. I'm the person who never thought I could be a nurse. Never. Isn't it amazing what you can do when you have to? For God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. My mom, Evelyn, was a tremendous help during this time. She was shopping, cooking, running errands, just everything. I couldn't have done it without her. But it was also a time to redirect her focus because she was grieving my father's death after a 50-year marriage. So it was a win-win. She was helping us. And I think we were helping her. Well, the month after Ed's surgery, <laughs> it just goes on, his mother suffered a massive stroke. It left her pretty unresponsive. I asked the Lord why he didn't call her home, considering her condition. And he did. 
January 2001, when Ed was just well enough to attend his own mother's funeral. We know that in all things God works for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8. Well, we have all been stretched and continue to be stretched. Some days it hurts. Some days it hurts more than others. But I guess that's why they call it the spiritual exercises, huh? For good reason. In this process, the Lord strengthens us. You know, he builds us up. He prepares us to handle the heavier things. We develop more endurance, don't we? And it helps to keep us focused and disciplined. Well, in 2002, we were in for a new adventure. As Ed was contemplating retirement, he decided that we should move to the desert. Well, this came as a surprise to me, but after a lot of prayer, and once again, communal discernment, I realized the Lord and my husband Ed were in cahoots. <laughs> and talk about loss and detachment and surrender. This was very difficult for me. I grew up in Orange County. I was leaving all my family and friends. Um, it was just so another opportunity for the Lord to have me give my yes, I guess, my fiat. Be it done to me according to thy will. So I surrendered my will, and I trusted the Lord. And once that decision was made, it seemed like things happened rather quickly, one miracle after another. I sensed that I was to help bring Magnificat to the San Bernardino Diocese. On the Feast of the Visitation, May 31, 2003, five women met to discern if that was God's will. On October 15, 2005, Our Lady's Desert Roses hosted its first meal. It's been a great joy to watch the flowers blooming in the desert and hearts being touched by our Lord. That's why it's so important for Magnificat chapters to remain faithful to their roots. Magnificat is both Marian and Holy Spirit. Because we know it took both artisans, huh? Mary and the Holy Spirit, to work together to birth who? Jesus. We need Our Lady and the Holy Spirit. They like to work together, don't they? Okay? To birth Jesus in our hearts. So... I find that we are called to bloom where we're planted. Who knows what the future holds? I don't. I don't. But I guess we all have to stay tuned. Huh? The good news for me is that God did get my attention back in 1989. He's had to deprogram me, to reprogram me, because he has called me to be holy. In order to do that, I have to die to self. Like St. John in chapter 3, verse 30 tells us, he must increase. Thanks so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.